the Square Peg Podcast. Mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. If you're any kind of fan of country music, I dare you to tell me with a straight face you don't absolutely love John Brennan's 2021 hit, I Ain't Done Singing Yet. John returned to the international scene late last year on Paramount Plus Real World LA Homecoming, but his music career was already being resurrected with his album that bears the name of the aforementioned smash hit. We'll talk to John about being somewhat of a pioneer in the world of reality television, where in 1993 he was the original square peg of the real world franchise and everything he's done since then. John, welcome to the Square Peg Podcast. I'm glad to be here. I am so glad we finally be able to do this. We actually kind of we set this thing up pretty short short order, and um, I was expecting to to have a little bit more back and forth trying to trying to schedule things. But you're actually really available now. Uh, where are you today, John? Are you in Owensboro or are you in Nashville? No, I'm in Nashville. I hadn't been to Owensboro in a long time, even though it's my hometown. Okay, yeah, I wasn't quite sure exactly what was going on there and, and kind of where you were. I know you said you're going to be calling from the Central Time Division. But um, the fact that you're in Nashville, and how long have you been there now? Well, I just moved back to Nashville a couple of months ago. I've been living in Alabama, and, uh, you know, I've kind of been spending all of my time in Alabama, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and that's why I wrote the song. I, you uh, know what? You beat me to it. EP is called. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, you know, where are people going to find me? Well, I'll be in Alabama, or I'll be in Tennessee, or Kentucky, one of those places. So, Of course, and, you know, we heard uh, yeah, you perform I've been that. all over. We saw you and heard you perform that uh, on TV not too long ago, but we'll get to that. You know, um, writing and recording again, uh, are you concentrating on touring, promoting your comeback? I mean, what exactly is going on with you right now? Well, as a matter of fact, I just came from a lunch where I was meeting with a, a radio promoter um, because back in the 90s, I was on tour on stage because people knew me from the real world show, but I didn't have any records out. So this time I'm trying to do it conventionally and I'm trying to get some radio play and then tour in support of, you know, the music rather than just go out there and perform. I do love to perform. That's my first love is to be on tour and travel and sing on stage live. But really, uh, no one will come and hear me sing unless they're familiar with some music first. So that's what I'm trying to concentrate on right now. I never, you know, I never quite understood, uh, you know, when I was much younger, when I was growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, I went to a lot of club shows, and there's that old kind of a cliche for people in the, you know, the music industry. They say we're out we're out uh, in support of our album. But I always kind of yeah. thought, especially maybe for the, main of, may, for the main act or for the headliner, but for the supporting acts, it almost seems like a lot of times going to the show, you may not have heard of them, so it would kind of be the reverse of that. That you might, you know, and I know that was the case with me. Sometimes I had never heard of a band until I saw them, you know, open for somebody else. And I said, oh, you know what? I need to go buy, go buy that album. But, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm good to see you're doing, you know, you're doing what, what musicians do and you're, and you're doing the, the usual thing. Now, have you, just out of curiosity, I've, I've had some guests on recently where we talked about how the music industry has changed. Has the way that we yeah. consume music with, you know, downloads and with all the different streaming services, has that changed the way you do anything at all? as far as marketing or completely how so completely um i thought i knew how the music business worked in the 90s and uh i think i did you know people are going to go to a record store and they're going to buy cds that doesn't happen anymore unless you got you know younger kids they want vinyl now so vinyls come back cool you know they'll go and, and find it at, at some you know store but um people aren't buying cds they're they're streaming it and um you know really 
there's not a lot of money generated by the artist or the labels by streaming because people are paying streaming services a subscription. So really, the only money to be made by a singer is not even by making records. It's by making records and then going out and touring. And that's why you go to these concerts and a T-shirt that probably should cost $12, cost $42, is because everybody's getting a commission off of that. And really, that's the only money that the artist is making. Um, because if they bring a light truss and a video wall and musicians and, you know, people that are setting it all up and tearing it all down, that singer's not making any money. So... Um, there's a lot of money coming in and out, but really that's the only place where an artist can, can really make any money is out there on tour selling merchandise because it's a crazy business. And so everything has changed. Every single thing has changed. People are making, um, recordings on their MacBook and on a pro tools home studio, rather than going to a glamorous, huge studio in Nashville and spending quarter of a million dollars of the labels money to make the album. They're spending, you know, twenty five thousand and doing it at home. A lot less and overhead, but I guess you're you're right. Merchandise is really where it's at. It's been a million years since I uh, since I bought a, ta- a concert T shirt, but I I definitely know, and I I've known enough musicians to know the merchandise is really you know, really where you're making your money. And I'm glad you're able to do that. You know, coming off the heels, uh, you know, I think I don't remember exactly it was when you when you filmed uh, Real World Homecoming, but. In any case, all of that is really coming off the heels of a of a pandemic, and I'm just wondering: yeah. Were you hesitant to get started with a new venture, not really knowing what the pandemic would bring, or how long it would the you know the world would be slowed down, or when when things would 100 percent open up for touring? I mean, did you have any any hesitation about that? Uh, I didn't. When they called and asked me if I would be interested in reuniting with the roommates in the show, I knew immediately. My answer was yes after like 10 seconds. They're like, what do you need to think about? I'm like, no, I've I've thought about this for 30 years. I knew one day you would call and say, we want to get you guys back together for a 25-year or 30-year reunion. So I was immediately a yes to that. Now, 2020, of course, was the, the biggest, largest portion of the pandemic and lockdowns and everything. We recorded the homecoming in August of 2021. So we we were tested and, you know, we all had to be vaccinated and, and they tested us daily, and the crew, they were getting tested daily. They created this safe bubble for us. We weren't allowed to really venture out into public very much at all. We were pretty much in that house, in that safe bubble that they created. But, you know, I'm not one of these. I was not one of these big conspiracy, fearful people about the pandemic. I got vaccinated, and I tried to stay safe and, you know, stay away from people and whatever. But um, I, I wasn't concerned about doing the homecoming. But, um, you know, uh, the music business, people still going to listen to music, whether they're on lockdown or not. And so the music business has, has trucked on and, uh, you know, I, I want to, I want to get out there and, and, and perform and, and put my music out there finally. And I used the homecoming, the real world homecoming that's on Paramount. You know, we were on men TV in the nineties, but now Paramount plus is, is, uh, you know, the big conglomerate they've all merged together and, and that's where the homecoming show can be seen. And, um, you know, I knew that, hey, this is my chance to get back out there and let viewers know that I still want to sing and I ain't done singing yet. And I still am uh, having the same passion that I had 30 years ago. You know, so you jumped a little bit ahead because I was going to talk to you about, you know, the decision to come back and do the homecoming. That's great. We can come back to that. But I was actually, you know, at this point, I was actually thinking just on the kind of the music side, and the fact that, you know, you brought it up, so let's talk about, you know, the timing seems um, 
if I'm if I'm not mistaken, the music thing was happening before they called you about going back and doing the homecoming, right? It was. Um, I didn't know. I didn't have a game plan. I didn't really know how I was going to approach it. And so I just started writing the songs and started making the recordings. And then when the homecoming happened, I was like, this is the tool I'm going to use. I'm going to, I'm going to perform while I'm on the homecoming. I'm going to perform these songs that I wrote and that I'm going to release. And it's going to, this is, this is the, this is the kick it. This is the, you know, the kickstart that, that I wondered what I was going to use. So yeah, I was already passionate about the comeback, but I definitely decided to use the homecoming. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, the timing couldn't have worked out better. And I know that, uh, uh, who is it? My kids, you know, at the beginning of the beginning of the pandemic, my wife was going to take our girls to uh, Jojo Siwa, uh, some teeny bop. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of her. I wouldn't have heard of her if I didn't have young children. But, you know, she was supposed to play not. here, I believe, uh, fairly early on in the pandemic, May or June of 2020. And, uh, you know, my wife was going to go see with her friend was going to go to Phoenix and see. Um, oh my, I can't think of her name right now. Alanis Morissette. Um, and I mm-hmm. just, I was just kind of thinking maybe you were, you were a little bit luckier because this all did kind of happen a year and a half into it. But I just wondered if with people, you know, with, with venues closing down and, um, it was kind of uniform at the beginning and then there was some opening and closing and then, you know, different States with different, different, uh, you know, public health orders were doing different things. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I wanted to talk about, uh, anybody who listens to country music knows that, uh, a good number, I don't want to put a percentage, but a good number of artists, uh, will tell you that they they began singing in church choirs uh, as young children. Of course, John Faith is a hu- huge part of your life. Um, was that the case with you? Did you get started with church, or was there something else? Um, I I did. I guess in a sense, I've always sang in church, and then I've spent really the last thirty year, twenty years for sure, leading music in churches. And um, uh, but I, I had a separate passion for country music. Uh, and I mean, I, I guess they all kind of intertwined. Uh, you could you could safely say that I started singing in church, but I didn't sing country music in church. So I don't know. I started singing country music uh, when I moved to Owensboro, Kentucky, when I was in the ninth grade, and they had this this theater called Goldie's Opry House, and they had you know Friday nights you sign in and and it was open mic and you sing if you want to, and so. It wasn't karaoke. They had a band, and uh, you know the old movie theater turned into a, a country music variety show. But that's really where I started singing country music. Where did you learn how to play guitar? Well, uh, I'll tell you a little secret. I'm still improving on guitar. I'm not the most fabulous guitar player, that, but I, I, uh, I, 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 mean, I bought a guitar when I was in fifth or sixth grade and started taking lessons. And I got frustrated. There's a lot of different plateaus, you know, when you learn an instrument and you got to stick with it and don't ever quit. Well, I quit twice. And so the third time I picked it back up and I didn't quit. I just, I'm like, you know what? Um, teach me how to play this Alan Jackson song. And my teacher was, was good with that. And he's like, okay, well, let's just get you playing music immediately and forget, you know, the basics. I'm like, yeah, I want to bypass the, the, the boring stuff. And I want to play a song today before I leave. And so and you did things um, a little that bit. became... Yeah, it became a lot more fun. I was playing music immediately, and so you, you know, know, you know, something that that just I just kind of thought of honestly, and I don't know why it had never occurred to me before because it seemed like a natural fit. You know, given given that you've been involved in ministry and 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 being a, a, a music leader in churches, and you're a country artist, um, is there a country element to the contemporary Christian scene, or have you ever considered creating a new genre? 
Being a trailblazer well, in there that is, way? There is a genre called positive country, and uh, it's a growing genre of music, and uh, they even have their own chart, to be honest. And uh, um, it's basically Christian country music or country music that is Christian, and they call it positive country, which I'm not sure is the best name for it, but um, there is that genre that's out there. It's small and it's growing, but it's uh, it, it, it's a platform that uh, I'll probably choose to be involved in. I, it wouldn't be surprised, and of course, you know, there's been so many. There are so many artists uh, that are on that are being tracked and, and being listed on so many different charts. There's a lot of crossover appeal. But you know, John, something that I didn't know about you, and I and I was. I want to say maybe for the first dozen seasons, I I really caught up. You know, I stayed up on the on the real world and uh, and and the road rules and the challenges, and then it, things got kind of silly after that. But yeah, thought that I was pretty knowledgeable. What I didn't know uh, until I started, you know, researching for this episode, is you actually started uh, college at Belmont, which um, I did. I don't. I didn't know anything about except that you always see them if you're a fan of college basketball and you watch the NCAA selection show. Uh, you always see Belmont, you know, whatever conference they're in, they seem to always get that that automatic bid. So obviously they're, you know, they win their conference tournament. But, um, you know, for people who yeah. don't know, it is a small private Baptist college in Nashville, um, kind of a good location for you. Now, you left Bomb- Belmont to go to L.A. to film Real, Real World Season 2 in 1993. What did you mm-hmm. know about the show? Because it was still brand new. There had been one season. Yeah, my goal was to enter into Belmont University. They, they were had making the transition uh, from Belmont College to Belmont University, and I graduated high school in 1992 in Kentucky. And so we're talking about um, the fall season of 1992. I'm at Belmont, and it's a very highly regarded, sought-after school, especially for the music business. And that was my plan, go to Belmont right there at the end of Music Row, get an internship and be plugged right into the music business and become a country music star. But what happened was I was out and about at a television taping at the convention center in Nashville, and a guy come up to me, and, and I had just, you know, in between they were doing a, a, a major primetime special for NBC called The Countdown at the Neon Armadillo. And I and during, like, the breaks when they're trying to keep the crowd there, somebody shoved the mic in my face and said, do you sing? Everybody in Nashville sings. Sing us a song. So I did. And everybody's like, oh, wow, you're really good. And guy walks up to me and says, man, I'm looking for a person about your age. How old are you? So I'm 18, freshman in college. He said, we're looking for somebody to be on an MTV show called The Real World. We did it in New York. Everybody lives together, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's cool, but. I wasn't a big MTV viewer at the time because, you know, they had started playing, you know, MTV raps and that wasn't my style, you know, and, and, you know, MTV had changed quite a bit, uh, since the 11 or 12 years that had been on the air and, and, um, and I didn't just wasn't what I was watching. So I had not seen the real world and he described it to me. And to be honest with you, I thought it sounded like a dumb idea. I thought it sounded like a stupid show. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm I'm like, hey, man, that's great. But, um, you know, I'm in Nashville where I belong, working on my goals. Why would I want to move to New York and be on this silly show? He said, no, 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 this show's going to be in California. This is the second season. It's going to be in Los Angeles. I said, see, why would I leave Nashville and go to Los Angeles to be on MTV when I want to be in Nashville as a country music singer? And he looked at me and he said, you don't get it, do you? You're going to be famous, and then you're going to be a singer. You're going to be on MTV. It's music television. And I'm like, huh, how long is that commitment? He said five months. And I'm going to live in a mansion on the beach in California and be on MTV. Yeah, dude. 
well, I'm not an actor. Said, no, this is a reality show. And, of course, my response was, what's a reality show? Okay? Because nobody knew. Having been the first reality show ever. And now there's, you know, Survivor and Big Brother, and there's, you know, the American Idol and the Kardashians and Duck Dynasty, and everything that's successful is a reality show. But back then, it was, it was no, you know, nobody had really seen it except for the first season, and, and really, we're the season that took it to another level. And then it grew every season in popularity. But I didn't know what I was getting into. I thought it sounded like a silly idea that wasn't going to work. But I was 18, and uh, I saw it as, you know, uh, an option for, you know, to really be a microwave to my career. And, uh, hey, let's hurry this along. Maybe I don't got to go through four years of college. And, and uh, I can bypass a lot of that groveling. You know, it seems <laughs> and, like um, – go ahead, continue. Well, I was going to say that, you know, when I got back, I was, I was famous for the next 10 years on, on reality TV and Capitol Records signed me. I was touring because of the, the real world's popularity and people were coming to my shows because I was a reality television star. And I would say it worked like the plan worked. Um, I never really had any success in, in music. It was just the TV popularity and fame that people knew me from. And so now I'm trying to go back and say, Hey, look, I was on the show because I'm a country music artist. That's why I was on the show to begin with. And so let's get the cart. Let's not have the cart before the horse. This right. time. Let's get the music going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it seems to me like, you know, with some of the behind the scenes stuff and the reunions and things like that, it seems like your parents were fairly supportive uh, and encouraged yeah. you. Now, of course, sending you off to Belmont, they knew they were sending you to a small private Baptist college. But were, did they have any reservations about you going to L.A. and being in a house of people you didn't know and people who probably didn't share your values? Um, and, you're, you know, you're 18 right. years old. W- was that a concern at all for your family? Um, I think any parent would have concerns, but my parents were awesome. I mean, my dad's gone now. Uh, before years in March, he died of cancer, and um, he was a great father figure, and great man to our household and, and mom um, doing very well, still lives in Kentucky. Very, very supportive. But can you imagine calling your parents and saying, hey, that very expensive private college that you guys helped get me in? Yeah, I'm going to drop out after one semester. And uh, that wait, wait, that's not the worst of it. I'm going to move to California. No, no, not the nice part of California. I'm going to move to Los Angeles. And I'm going to be on MTV. Yes, MTV, that channel that you had blocked when we were growing up. <laughs> You know, that's funny you mentioned that, John. I was just thinking of this. Now, my parents, I did not grow up. I grew up in a strict home, and actually, believe it or not, my parents didn't drink and smoke and curse. They're pretty square. But to tell you how square they were, it wasn't that we weren't allowed to watch MTV. It was just that my dad said, you're not watching that crap in my house. And it was back in the day when the cable box had a key um, where he would turn the key. And to, to, yeah. to be honest with you, I'm, I'm trying to think what exactly it was that he, he found so objectionable. And the only thing I can think of would be maybe the, the spring break, you know, the, the MTV spring break shows, yeah. the, which 30, the, we're talking 30. I, I, I'm, break. I'm the same age as you, John. Yeah. I graduated high school in 92. So yeah, all right. 30 years ago, you know, it seems to me to be pretty tame. But, you know, another thing that I was wondering is um, you were definitely the square peg there in the uh, L.A. house. Oh, yeah. Um, now, had oh, yeah. you experienced being the one who didn't participate in all the debauchery going on around you before, or had you pretty much surrounded yourself with like-minded folks who were, you know, deep into their faith and didn't didn't drink and smoke and do all that stuff, or, or was it kind of new to well, you to be the only one? 
both. I mean, I went to high school in a public school, so, I mean, people were crazy in high school, and uh, I was just never really around for that. I was singing at Goldie's on the weekends when kids were out being crazy. But, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely was the, the square peg in the round hole in the real world, and, and I think that, um, you know, I think the objection to MTV for our parents was, the spring break in Daytona Beach, and, you know, that's right around the time that music on MTV had gone from Phil Collins and, you know, like, uh, you know, Dire Straits, I Want My MTV, and Cindy Lauper. Then it made the switch to Yo! MTV Raps, and there was, you know, NWA, and then here comes Snoop Dogg, and, you know, these people with, you know, the, the, the saggy britches and the criminal look and, you know, F the police and all of this stuff, so... I mean, the, you can see why parents would say, you know, in, in, in the late 80s and early 90s, no, not in my house. So, um, but my parents saw that as an opportunity, opportunity for me to, to go and, and get exposure. But I was also pretty well grounded and uh, was, you know, raised with a Christian upbringing. And I never really caused a lot of trouble growing up. I was a good kid. And so I think they trusted my decision making. But, um, yeah, I mean the story kind of changed from they cast this guy, they cast me as the aspiring country music singer that had never left Kentucky. So 18 years old, he's going to come to Los Angeles and go crazy wild. And his eyes will be open to all of the wonderful debauchery. <laughs> that didn't happen. I mean, I was so grounded in my faith in Christ that um, the storyline changed from John with the cowboy hat to John, this kid of faith that's pretty stubborn and grounded and, you know, what does he think about Tammy having an abortion? What does he think about, you know, the alcoholism of his roommates? What does John think about, you know, the fact that his roommates are living a crazy life and he's trying to stay well-grounded to his southern roots? And so, it, it, you know, I became the kid next door. I mean, everybody felt like they knew me. And uh, when you turned on MTV in the 90s, they were usually showing a, a real-world rerun or yeah. a marathon. And, yeah. It wasn't like today where you got to turn it on and turn on the internet and surf, you know, turn on Netflix or Hulu and, 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 and go to a specific show that you want to watch. Back when I was watching TV growing up, you turned the TV on and you landed on MTV. You just clicked through the channels and then you landed on MTV and there was, there was the real world. And for about 10 years, there weren't 12 or 40 real world. There was just you know, two or three, and yeah, yeah. we were usually always on. I was always on MTV to and, the point where my friends would call me and say, you're on MTV. I'm like, I know, dude, get used to it. They said, no, 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 you're on Celebrity Deathmatch. Oh, or, wow. no, 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 you're you're like Beavis and Butthead just, just mentioned you. I must have missed that. You know, the funny thing is with my streaming service, I've got heaven knows how many channels, but I'm actually surprised when I'm scrolling through and I still see that MTV actually exists. But, you know, yeah. You had an interesting reaction to finding out that Tammy Tammy was a Muslim. Um, had yeah. you? I'm I'm going to assume you had you had not met any Muslims in in Owensboro. I mean, there's not a, a, a huge Muslim po population in Owensboro, Kentucky. But you know, I, I, I my reaction was, "You are like really like it was a little it was a little over dramatic and a little bit um, I, I think ingenuine, you know, because. I was I was making a big deal out of the fact that she was Muslim, knowing that she really wasn't. I knew her very quickly and knew that um, you know, religion had no place in her life. She was just saying she was a Muslim. She wasn't spiritual in any way. She wasn't um, 
implementing that statement of I'm a Muslim into her life. And uh, having done now mission work over in Africa, I've met a lot of Muslims, and they're very peaceful and, and, and very religious people and um, very devout. And Tammy wasn't any of that. And so, side note, Tammy's a born-again Christian now, and you know we've had many conversations about how her saying she was Muslim on, on the real world to me was just really, um, uh, I don't want to say for attention, but it wasn't a genuine part of her life. It was just, yeah. you'd be surprised how you feel this need to say something when someone points a camera at you. And that's interesting. That, I don't know that that was actually addressed. What you're just saying it, you know, makes a lot of sense. I don't yeah. know how much. I, you know, it was funny. Uh, I didn't really know much about Owens, Owensboro. did a little bit of looking into it right before, um, you know, right after you and I got in contact. One of the most interesting things that I found is, you know, you and I are the same age. From the age of 11 to about 36, I was a, I was a tobacco user. And for the m- vast, vast majority of the time, it was smokeless tobacco. And the brand that I used to chew, Red Man Golden Blend, is... Boom, wouldn't you know it, headquartered right there in Owensboro, Kentucky. So the more you know, ladies and gentlemen. Well, <laughs> I just thought yeah. it was a... I mean, the state of Kentucky uh, really depends on tobacco as their crash crop. And so tobacco is a way of life in Kentucky. I mean, I don't use it, um, but it sure, it sure is uh, a major part of the economy. Well, coming back, you know, you did come back to Kentucky, then you went to Nashville, of course. The experiences you had in L.A., meeting a whole bunch of different kinds of people and being exposed to different things, how did it, how did it benefit you and how did it make you see, maybe see the people in your, in your hometown that you didn't see before, you didn't notice before, maybe you didn't appreciate? Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, you know, Tammy made the statement. She and Dominic flew to Nashville and then they got in a Winnebago and drove to my hometown, and then we drove from Owensboro all the way to Los Angeles in a Winnebago. And that journey, the first two episodes of our real-world season, uh, is what sparked the producers and the network going to, into saying, hey, we need to make a whole show out of, out of a Winnebago journey, and that's called Road Rules. So I always say, and I was on the very first challenge that they ever had. You very, absolutely very were. Challenge. So they, they cast one person from each real world, and I was one of the five. And I, I, I always say I was on, you know, really I started the challenge and I started road rules and really I started the real world too, because the whole first season was very lame and sucked. So, um, you know, that's, yeah, that, that's, that's my whole, uh, that's my, that's my little spiel that I give on podcast. Uh, do you say but, that yeah, when you, I mean, if you ever interact with the people from the first season? Oh yeah. Uh, well, the people on the first season have kind of blackballed me. I've learned because, uh, you know, they, they're very, very liberal, and I'm I'm very, very conservative generally with with my beliefs, and so they just they don't answer my calls anymore. They blackballed John. I'm like, wow, that's really petty for you to be on a show called The Real World right. where you interact with people that are nothing like you, and you're supposed to accept and learn from one another. For you to you know find out, oh, John's a conservative Baptist Republican, so we're not going to talk to him anymore. I'm like, you obviously learn nothing about having been on The Real World. I, I love right. being on The Real World. Yeah, I love being on the homecoming. I love being on the challenges because you get to meet people that are nothing like you, and you learn to love them. You, you, lo- know, you love people that are not like you. But you know what, John? You like you like I I always I'm, I'm always reminded when I when I think of the real world franchise and world rules franchise. I do remember you were actually on the first challenge, which yeah. really was just a season of the of road rules, and it was you and Rachel and and um, Sean and I don't remember who else was on it. 
But you know, Eric Eric Meese, the very first okay, reality star right. of all time, Eric Meese from the first Real World, and Cynthia from the Miami Show. Okay, and so right. now they've got thirty nine to forty seasons, if you count the All Star spinoff that they've done of of the challenge. I was on challenge one, five, and ten, and now they're on like forty two. And I'm like, hey, it's time to have John Brennan back on the challenge. I started this thing. You know, I'm, I was actually going to say I'm glad. Uh, I didn't realize that you had done anything after that original Road Rules All Stars. I'm kind of glad not to have seen you. I stopped watching that. That that whole challenge franchise became so trashy. I mean, it hurt. Yeah. My wife watches those housewife shows, and I I, I get anxiety watching other people's drama like that. Um, I, I'm oh, yeah. I, let's put it well, this way: I'm glad that you're not associated with that particular franchise so much. But when you came back, you thought your music career was really going to take off, and then it didn't. Yeah, well, I don't know which comeback you're talking about. I've been trying to make comebacks ever since. You no, know, for I mean about the original five years after the original real uh, time, your original time in L.A. in '93. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, I got back, and well, Capitol Records in Nashville signed me. They were really excited about me. I was traveling around opening for big, big acts, and you know, as the music business just unfolds, it uh, it doesn't always work out, and you know, slowly things just kind of fell apart. And I thought, well, I'll regroup and go again. Well. Um, it um, it never really regrouped. So I, I went and did a lot of mission work and entered the ministry and and just kept making trips to Nashville. But you can't make trips to Nashville. You've got to be fully entrenched. And uh, it's like winning the lottery. You can't just you know you can't just think about. You have to actually jump in both feet. And so you know I just put all my chips in this basket and said, look, I'm forty six, forty seven, forty eight years old. If I'm going to sing again, it's time to go 100% and 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 quit, you know, casually trying to make a comeback. You got to put it all all your eggs in the basket and go for it. So, you know, um here I am trying to trying to get my my song I ain't done singing yet on the radio cuz really that's my goal. I don't want to be an internet artist. I don't want to be a Spotify artist. I want to be a radio artist. I want to be a traveling artist that people hear on the radio. Well, and that's uh, it's very, very difficult. Well, let's talk about that song, I Ain't Done Singing Yet, because I, I listened to it, honestly, for the first time just a couple of weeks ago. Like I said, Alabama, Kentucky, Tennessee, you actually performed with Merle Haggard's Sons Band uh, when you were in L.A. Uh, last year. But uh, Wayland, I, Yeah, Waylon Jennings' son, Shooter Jennings' band, yeah. And so I was familiar with that, but I ain't done singing yet. John, I, I'm not lying to you. And I, you know, I grew up uh, 13 miles from the White House, um, technically, Virginia is the old South, but it's not country. Although WMZQ was always big there, ninety-eight point seven. I'm going to give them a little bit of a shout out. I probably started right. listening to country music in earnest uh, in high school, so late '80s. And um, when I heard, I mean, the first couple seconds of that song, it, anybody who knows anything about country music knows that Nashville has the formula, and they have probably had mm-hmm. the best business model in music for decades. And I'm telling you that song could have you could have recorded that song in 1992 1996 1999 2010 it doesn't matter it has all of the i'm just going to say the things and i'm not a music reviewer i'm not an album reviewer so i don't know necessarily know all the verbiage but you hit an absolute grand slam with that song i mean it like i said has all of the things it's it rocks you've got at some point and i know you're you're uh your voice isn't as deep as, but at some moment I thought to myself, sounds a little bit like Josh Turner. Um, <laughs> just tell me about the process of writing that song and how that all came about. I mean, I, it's, it should be obvious, well, but. Well, first of all, thank you. Yeah, if you listen to the lyrics, 
it's 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 a no-brainer. Only John Brennan could have written that song because that song, line for line, tells you um, my journey and why I'm doing this. And so lyrically, I think it's perfect for where I am. I was literally in the shower one day, and I was uh, living in Alabama, and I thought, I guess I'm done singing country music. Dang, I miss it. Like, am I done singing? Is that a, a part of my life that's over? And I sat there in the shower, just letting the water beat my head, and I made a decision. I said, no, there's no reason that you have to be done singing. You don't want to be done singing. You still got that passion in your heart. It, it's, what you, it, it's what you desire to do and think about doing and say, what if, what if, this is my goal in life. But you're not doing anything to work towards it. So it's time to get out of the shower, dry off, and get back to singing. Are you done? And I literally asked myself a question. Are you done singing? Is that over? And I said, my answer to myself was, I ain't done singing yet. And it's bad grammar, but I ain't. Let's get back at it. Let's get back to it. I've been gone for a while. People have been out of the limelight. People haven't seen me on reruns on MTV. They haven't seen me on the challenge. Everybody wants to know what John Brennan's been up to. I'm kind of forgotten about. Write the song, get to singing, and put it out there. And I love the song. It's my favorite song on, on the EP. Uh, a lot of people like Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky a little bit better. My roommates on The Real World liked it better. And uh, the producers of The Homecoming liked it better. So that's what they saw on The Homecoming. They said, oh, this is catchy. This song's great. I'm like, yeah, it's catchy and it's great. And it'll be a great follow-up single. But the first one's going to be I Ain't Done Singing Yet because it tells the story about why I'm back. And it does. It rocks. Like, I, want, I like energetic music. It's got fiddle on it. It's got a little banjo in the back, but it's a rocking song that if I was in my car, I would crank it. I'm not like, not a, it's not a, not a background song. It's a song that you crank up and sing to the top of your lungs. And it's a song that makes you feel great and positive about what your goals are. So I, I thank you for the words that you said. I feel the same way. I'm a little partial because I wrote it and it's my comeback song, <laughs> but it's a song that if it were on the radio, I would crank it up and say, dude, this song's awesome. And, uh, you know, maybe everybody listen to this podcast will go find it on Spotify or you can go to my website, johnbrennan.com and download it, uh, whatever. I'll mail you a CD if you want. I'll sign the CD. But it's a great song. Uh, I think it's, it's on YouTube. It's everywhere that music is. But go and find I Ain't Done Singing Yet by John Brennan. And if you don't love that song as a country music fan, I'll be surprised because, like, I think it's got everything that a country music hit. Well, I'll tell uh, you, I, you know, neither one of my sisters listens to country music, but I know my oldest sister, Leslie, is probably one of the biggest real world real world marks uh, <laughs> that there is. And she I know she's very excited that I was going to be interviewing you. I wouldn't be surprised if both of them actually liked it. It is something that I think crosses all all genres because of the, the rock and sound and the upbeat thing. Now, of course, you uh, I, I don't know how I get it. You'll get a chuckle. I don't know if it's cliche. You actually did cover Alan Jackson. Uh, with the song here in the real world, which uh, nod, nod, wink, wink. Yeah. Um, I don't know exactly how that came about. But, you know, there are a few other things uh, that I wanted to. Now, you did say sometime in the 90s you made your way through Las Cruces, New Mexico, where, where I live and where I record. Yeah, I, I can't remember. Uh, I did a lot of college circuit speaking. And uh, is there a college there? Is there a university? Or New Mexico a, State Aggies. College? Yeah, I, I don't. I was on tour, and I know we stopped in Las Cruces because you know I remember the name and what a beautiful part of uh, of, of whether the state and, and the and the country. 
But uh, I can't remember. I, I, I'd love to say I was performing there, but I, I can't remember. But I know I spent some time in Las Cruces and Santa Fe and Albuquerque. And well, if you if you played if you, when I was a little boy. if you played Las Cruces, you probably played. I want to say either place called Cowboys, which no longer exists, yeah. uh, or a place called Rodeo yeah. USA, which was actually still here when I moved here in 1999, and now it's actually a roller rink. But um, I think it was Cowboys. If I think back, I played several places called Cowboys. It's probably what it was. But, but yeah, that, that, that's neat. Uh, well, if you... In the real world, I, I was literally um, um, about to leave to go in 1993 to be on the real world. And I was watching CMT back when CMT was playing videos all the time. And Alan Jackson's song Midnight in Montgomery came on. And he had a video where he went to visit Hank Williams. Uh, tomb, uh, gravesite in Montgomery. And when he pulled up on his bus, the Silver Eagle bus at the top above the windshield, you know how buses will say, you know, what city they're going to or, right. or who's on the end of bus. His, his bus was named Real World. And I thought, oh, he named his bus Real World because his previous hit song, Here in the Real World. So his bus is his real world. And that's funny. If I ever get on you know, if I end up being on this silly show that they're talking about wanting me on, I'm going to sing that Alan Jackson song here in the real world. It became a huge part of the, of the, and you did. Of the show. <laughs> I did. I sang it. And then I sang it on tour. Um, hey, everybody, I was on this show called The Real World. Let me sing this song. And so I thought, you know what? Put here in the real world on the, on the, on the comeback EP. You know, I um, I actually lost my kind of my train of thought there for a second. I want to go back a little bit. Uh, something I didn't get, you know, you said you were actually really enthusiastic uh, about having an opportunity to do the homecoming. Um, did the, because, again, when you did it the first time, you didn't really know what to expect. And now we have a good 30 plus years of, of reality television to, to kind of, to know what, what one should expect when they go on. And like I said, I can't stand a lot of these shows. My wife watches these, these real housewife shows and and you know what I do for a living. I, I get enough of dealing with other people's drama. Um, the idea of, I couldn't do it, John. I could not be on a show like that, knowing what it is. I would remove myself. I just, was well, there any anxiety? I know you said that you were excited to do yeah. it and you didn't hesitate for a moment, but knowing that there were going to be stressful times and stressful moments. And, and of course, yeah. as it, as it ha would happen, you guys did revisit a lot of the issues that you dealt with 30 years ago. With, did you have any anxiety, any, any apprehension about what, what it was going to be like? Well, let me tell you this. Being on um, The Real World is a great opportunity and it's very enjoyable at times, but it is very, very, very stressful. And The Real World in 1993 was one of the most stressful things I've ever done. It's one of the most valuable things I've ever done. But just the fact that, hey, this is going to be on television and everybody that watches this, which is going to be millions, are going to form an opinion about everything you have said and done here on, on tape. And not only are they going to form an opinion, but it's going to be there for 10 years on reruns and then live on the Internet forever. So this is something that never goes away. It's very, very stressful. Okay, Nobody says and does the, the right thing all the time. So you, you say things you wish you hadn't said. Oh, my gosh, my hair looks terrible. My complexion, does that, is that really what my voice sounds like? I don't like myself. Or, oh, I wish I could erase that bunch of footage and I would have reacted totally differently. I'm going to regret that. There's a lot of stress involved, but again, it's valuable because you get to be yourself. You get to be a voice for um, who you are as a person and what your, what your values and what your character is. I mean, there was nobody on the real world like John Brennan. 
Okay, there there never has been since then somebody that is a very very devout Christian. Okay, I'm an ordained minister at this point. There's never been somebody from Owensboro, Kentucky. There's never been um, you know somebody that was exactly like me. And so I think I brought a lot to the table, and it's a great opportunity. They called me tomorrow and said, we want you to be on a reality show. I wouldn't hesitate. It's a tremendous opportunity to share your light and your perspective and hopefully your love with the world um, and to go and, and have a relationship with six or seven or eight other people that you would never otherwise meet in life. And everybody that watches this, everybody that watches this too, not just your roommates who you live with and see every day, but everybody that watches this on TV is going to know you. And they're going to um, they're going to gain from your perspective. They're going to learn about life because of you, and uh, learn about themselves and learn about you. And again, not that I have so much to offer and I'm great at everything and I say and do the right things all the time, but that's what the journey of life is. It's our interactions with one another and what we can take from uh, relationships with people that we know and people that we meet. So immediately, the world's meeting me. Like, I don't even have to get out there and shake hands. Like, I'm on this television show. I'm going to ride into people's homes. And so it's great. It's a great thing. Like, reality stars, I'm going to just say it out loud. They love attention. Okay? Being on TV is fun. And it's, it's, it's neat. I'm not going to tell you it's not. But it is a lot of stress. And you know what, John? And, uh, I have to say, one of the things that I found most respectable about you um, was, number one, that you were not judgmental. Um, you were understanding and you just, your point was, Hey, this isn't how I think. And this isn't how I live, but it doesn't sound to me like you ever told anybody how they should, how they should conduct themselves. You know, and the other thing is there was something that was touched on in the first, uh, first go around and the second one. And, you know, no reason to get into detail or spend a lot of time on it. But, um, I read in, in an article, an interview said, you know what, there are certain things that are just not necessary to get into and for the world and that because you have spent time and may still spend time as a youth pastor uh, you need to be able to be answerable to the parents of the, the children and the young folks that you deal with and that you lead and um, and mm -hmm. that you just choose not to discuss certain things or really get into certain aspects of your life and I you know I found that very respectable we're getting short on time you have lost how much weight here recently oh, I've lost 29 pounds and uh, since since the real world homecoming, which now that's been uh, over a year ago, working on a year and a half ago, if you can believe it, um, that we filmed that, and it, it didn't air until a couple of months, several months after we did it. But we filmed it in August. I lost 29 pounds. And I'm trying to lose 20 more. Uh, you know, I really want to lose a total of 50 pounds. I want to get down to 210 pounds. Uh, you know, by Christmas, and people are going to say, oh, you're too thin, now you don't look good. And my, my response to that is, well, you know, being 50 pounds overweight is not healthy either, but, you know, I have no problem gaining weight, so trust me, if I lose too much weight, I'm a pro at gaining it back. Hey, you and I are in the same boat now, and, you know, to be honest <laughs> with you, I think one of the things that was pretty noticeable about you on the second go-around on the homecoming was you had put on a significant amount of weight. Now, what are you doing to take it off? So, um, you know, I eat very, very poorly. I eat the wrong food. Kool-Aid. And I eat a lot. I eat a lot of it. I mean, I, I eat a lot of meat. I eat a lot of potatoes. And I drink a lot of soda. I drink a lot of Dr. Pepper and a lot of Coca-Cola. So first thing I did is, I, you know, I'm addicted to the, the caffeine and, and, and the soft drinks. So I couldn't eliminate it, but I cut way, 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 way back on it. 
and uh, and drink a lot more water. And, and you know, instead of drinking a whole can of Dr. Pepper, I might take two swigs, and that will eliminate you know the headache that you'll have from the withdrawal. And then I just I eat one meal a day. I don't eat breakfast. I eat a late lunch, and then you know I walk or run two, three, four miles a day with my dog. And uh, you know, so diet and exercise is the answer. And uh, don't eat, don't eat, don't eat supper if you're trying to lose weight because you'll wake up in the morning thinner, hungry, hungry, but still you'll you'll lose weight overnight if you don't eat dinner. Well, John, you know, I'm like, glad oh, to no, hear you got to eat dinner. I'm glad to hear you're doing some exercising. I'd like to hear you add some strength training into that. You know, we discussed earlier, you and I are the same age. I'm a couple months older than you, but I'll be 49 in January. And I am, I'm actually in the best shape of my life. Uh, and I, you know, yeah. I, I do a lot of strength training. I do a lot of functional. So I don't do any traditional gym exercises now. Um, you know, and, and I'm, you know, you've probably seen pictures cause uh, you've seen them on my Instagram and I, I do some boxing. I do a lot of, uh, functional strength training and I do a lot of cardio, but I'm really glad to see you're doing that. One final question before you go, you know, we had, a, I had a guest on here. I want to say season one or season two. He is a former police officer, a colleague of mine, um, from Las Cruces who moved out to uh, Nashville a couple of years ago and he's now, he's making a living as a songwriter and a performer. Have you come across, uh, Frank Ray yet? I have not, but I, I don't. I don't know a lot of people. I'm not a bigwig, uh, so I, I haven't. I haven't met him, but I'll, I'll keep uh, my ear to the ground. Keep keep your ear out. He's got a couple good singles. Hey, um, you want to tell everybody just before we go, John, how they can? Uh, I know you mentioned it a few times. Uh, just give a shout to your website uh, and to all the different places people can find your music and your merch. Yeah, so I'm John J O N with no H in it. JohnBrennan.com is my website, JohnBrennan.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at JohnBrennan underscore com, JohnBrennan.com. And those are verified accounts, Facebook at John Brennan Country. Those are verified, so the blue check is there. You'll know it's me. I'm actually on TikTok. It's not verified yet, but I'm on TikTok at JohnBrennan.com. And, um, yeah, I mean, follow me on social media. got a YouTube channel, too. But Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and then my website and uh, you know, those are, it's really me that, that's posting on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. It's not somebody doing that for me. So uh, go and follow me and like my stuff, and we can interact. I appreciate it. Hey, you know, this has been so, John, you know, talking to you this last 45 minutes or so has been so amazing. And um, not that I ever had any doubts, but, you know, these last few weeks I've been interacting with you a little bit, getting this thing going. And you are absolutely the word genuine. Uh, I think best describes you and talking to you, like I said, for this last three quarters of an hour, uh, not that I ever had any doubts, but it confirms that genuinely nice guy, John, it has been a pleasure. This is our season finale for season five of the square peg podcast. And I really couldn't think of a better way to have spent it. So thank you for being my guest. And I look forward to seeing a lot more from you, man. I appreciate it. I'm definitely a square peg in a round hole in this world, but all to your listeners, uh, call your local country radio station, tell them you want to hear John Brennan. I ain't done singing yet. I happen to know, John, we talked about this. I record in the Zia Country studio here at Bravo Mike Communications. My producer's office is right next door. She's the operations manager. She's also my editor. So I have a feeling uh, if your song has not been on Zia Country yet, it might be there in a few weeks. Well, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Square Peg Podcast as much as I have. This is going to go ahead and uh, just about do it for Season 5, but um, i got big plans for Season 6 coming in 2023. I hope you guys will stick with me. Thank you very much. The Square Peg Podcast, proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo Mike Communications.